So in property, another way to obtain real, I'm sorry, personal property is through the rule of finders. So the rule of finders is really twofold. Uh, first, we need to determine what kind of category the item was, and also we need to examine the status of the finder. And third, so I guess threefold, is we need to determine really where the location of the item was that was found. So there are four different categories of items that can be found. First, you can have lost items. Second, you can have mislaid items. Third, you can have abandoned items. And fourth, you can have a treasure trove. Let's just briefly go over the difference between each of these and then apply these throughout the cases. A lost item is something that is unintentionally left and involuntary, sorry, unintentionally and involuntarily parted, meaning they didn't mean to lose it and they didn't want to lose it. Mislaid is where it's voluntarily left, where they left it there, but they forgot to pick it back up. Abandoned is where it's both voluntarily and intentionally left. And then a treasure trove is something where uh, it's concealed a very long time ago, so more than 30, 50 possibly even 60 years. And this leads into our cases Armory versus Delamari. Uh, what happened in this case is that Armorari Amar uh, was a chimney sweep and he found a jewel as he was going about his job and he took it to get appraised and the person uh, took the jewel, uh, appraised it for him uh, and ultimately claimed the jewel for his own. So whose jewel is it? Well, is it the person who finds it or is it the person who appraised it? Who has a possessory claim over this jewel? Well, this was something that was lost and then was eventually found. And what the court says here is that Armory has this possessory interest because he was the first person to find. And so the rule that we learn, the, our first big rule of finders, is that the first person to find has a higher claim over that lost possession than anybody else except for the true owner. So if the true owner doesn't come and make the claim for the lost property, well, and then that person through adverse possession ends up being the person to claim ownership of that thing. But until that adverse possession has run, he's only a possessor. Until that time, he's really just keeping the item safe, and nobody else can keep the item safe except them, and eventually they could become the owner if it's not claimed by the true owner. So that's our first rule. Our second case is Hannah v. Peel. I'll just say the takeaway from this case. Our big takeaway, our rule of law, so to speak, is that the property owner is preserved presumed to have a better claim than anybody else who finds property on sorry who finds an item on their property however this isn't true if the property is either unoccupied or if the property owner has no control over the property and when i say property like that i'm meaning real property land and if that's the case then the finder has a better claim than the landowner so, let's just try and break this down a bit. 
what happened in this case is person was owning the land, but he didn't live in the land. And somebody else found an item on his land who was authorized to be there, but not by the owner's control. So is it the landowner who has an interest in this, or is it going to be the finder who has an interest in this? And what the court says here is that although the landowner typically has an interest because he was unoccupying the land and because he was not in control of the land, ultimately it is the finder who ends up having this. So we get a few rules here. If the finder is a trespasser and discovers something on the land, then the landowner has possession. If the finder is a social guest invited onto the land, well, then the landowner has possession. If the item was embedded into the land, then the landowner has possession. But if the item is found in an open, public, or unoccupied area, well, then the finder has possession. Our next case is McAvoy versus Medina. It's a very similar case, except the difference here is that the person finds mislaid property. So those previous rules that we talked about is what how it applies for lost property. But when it comes to mislaid property, well then we are assuming that the person is going to be coming back to reclaim that property. Or at least they're going to want to try. Because Miss Lane voluntarily left but unintentionally forgotten. Something along those lines. So they're planning on coming back, and we want to have the person with the largest claim on that property will be the person who is most likely to re-encounter the person who had left it previously, the actual owner. So if a person leaves a wallet someplace, and the person at the... So I have forgotten my wallet at a gas station before, but I did come back and reclaim it. Say, for example... I left my wallet at a gas station, and some individual finds the wallet, turns it into the gas station, and says, here's the wallet that I just found. Will you hold on to it, return it to the true owner? If not, can you um, call me and I'll try and claim it? The thing is, is that the person, the finder, can't claim that because I mislaid my wallet. And if I was to go back, I would not find the individual, but instead I would contact the gas station. And so ultimately, the gas station has a higher claim on this wallet, where if I didn't come back, then the gas station would have the wallet after adverse possession. But they have a higher claim on the wallet because I'm more likely to go back to the gas station than I am to go to the individual. So that's really how that works, the difference between lost and mislaid. It is a very fine, intricate details to whether or not it's lost or mislaid. My example was actually a poor example because if the wallet is found on the ground, well, then it tends to be considered lost. But if it's found on a table, as if it's placed someplace, well, then it tends to be considered as or mislaid. So that's really how those 
all kind of work, and we saw how this works all together in our final case, Benjamin versus Linder Aviation Co. What happened here is that a plane was repossessed by the company. Uh, they uh, sent it to this... Sorry, a plane was repossessed by the bank. The bank sent it to this aviation company to look for it to conduct an inspection and then Benjamin worked for the company who was actually doing the inspection. He found a lot of money in the plane wing in this inspection. So the question is who has a claim on the money? Is it going to be the bank? Is it going to be uh, the uh, aviation company or is it going to be Benjamin? Bank owns the plane, aviation company owns the hangar where the plane was when the money was found and then Benjamin works for the company. And so ultimately, the court just goes through each of their things to determine that it's not a treasure trove because the money was less than 30 years old. It's not lost because obviously it was put there purposefully. It's not abandoned because you can't just forget about $19,000. And that leaves that it must mean that it's mislaid, where it was intentionally left, but they couldn't remember where it was. And the dissent here actually says that it was abandoned, and it's really, which one was it? But the court here says that it was mislaid, and because it was mislaid, it goes to the bank, because the bank was the owner of the plane. And if the true owner comes to find that information, well, then they're going to go to the plane. And the plane, being underneath the possession of the bank, ultimately that means that the person would be led to the bank for reclaiming this money that they had left behind. The dissent obviously disagrees, saying that this was abandoned. And if that's the case, if it's abandoned, it goes to the finder. Uh, because the true owner has uh, left their rights aside with leaving the property and a finder gets the new property. That's pretty much how this rule works when it comes to abandonment. So a different outcome could have been the case depending on what category this property was. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Law Schoolers. Before I let you go, there are four things I want to say. The first thing is if you enjoyed these episodes and if you enjoyed the website, I would invite you to go and join Law Schoolers Pro. And you can do that by going to lawschoolers.com slash join. It's a way for you to support us, but there's also a lot of features there that I think you will enjoy. Second thing is that nearly all of our episodes are unedited. The only ones that aren't are pre-law materials. And the reason for that is so you can actually see the legal material in its raw form as I'm learning it as well. The third thing is that the information contained in these episodes are specifically only for educational purposes. They're not to be used as legal advice. And with that, the fourth thing is if it is used as legal advice, we are not liable. That is, law schoolers is not liable for any legal outcomes. Thank you again for enjoying the show. Have a good one.